This is a podcast from the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark the Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We're in the month of April 2023, and I think it's fair to say the last few weeks have been punctuated by some pretty heart-stopping moments for investors. I'm referring, of course, to the spate of bank failures in the West. In almost a blink of an eye, Credit Suisse, the venerable Swiss financial institution, which was considered to be one of the world's 30 systemically important lenders, is essentially gone. Meanwhile, in the US, a number of mid-sized regional financial institutions suffered their own crises of confidence in quick succession, including Silvergate Capital, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and First Republic Bank. Bank regulators around the world took aggressive measures to stem the fallout from these bank runs. For instance, US regulators said that no depositors would suffer losses as a result of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. We also saw a remarkable initiative by 11 of the largest banks in the U.S. to help shore up confidence in one of their smaller peers. Specifically, the large banks, which include players like Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase, said they would make uninsured deposits totaling 30 billion U.S. dollars into the struggling First Republic Bank. Now, things have calmed down a lot over the last couple of weeks, but I'm waiting for the next shoe to drop. In this podcast, I'll talk about why these bank runs happened. I'll offer some views on what the turmoil could mean for the direction of interest rates, and I'll explain why I'm even more bearish about the market now than I was at the beginning of this year. First of all, let me just say that I knew next to nothing about Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank or any of the other US financial institutions that landed in trouble last month. And when I read the avalanche of news reports about what happened at these banks and how they came to grief, my first inclination was to chalk the whole thing up to poor management. For instance, in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, the problem was not that the creditworthiness of its borrowers had suddenly deteriorated. In fact, the bank was heavily invested in US government bonds, which have no credit risk. The problem seemed to be that the bank had a concentration of big depositors And the bonds purchased with those customer deposits had been purchased when interest rates were lower than they are now. So when depositors began fleeing all at once, the bank was forced to sell its bonds at a loss, which exacerbated the panic. Obviously, if Silicon Valley Bank had actively managed its assets and shored up its equity base when the Fed began raising interest rates a year ago, it might have managed to maintain the confidence of its depositors, and it might still be standing today. Similarly, in the case of Credit Suisse, we had a very large bank that had been making headlines for all the wrong reasons for years. It was exposed to problematic clients, there were doubts about its structure, and questions about its management culture. And I couldn't help thinking when it went under that if it had its house in order, maybe it could have maintained the confidence of its depositors and investors. After properly digesting all the bad news, however, I was more inclined to link what happened to the steep rise in interest rates over the past year. There is a common observation that interest rates are like gravity in financial markets. When they change, they naturally have an impact on the market value of all assets and often the durability of many levered financial structures. Banks, by their nature, have highly levered balance sheets. No matter how well they're capitalized or how well they're managed, 
If a bank's depositors all want their money back at the same time, that bank is going to struggle. Now, over a period of slightly more than a year, the target range for the US federal funds rate has gone from between 0 and 25 basis points to between 4.75% and 5% currently. In the wake of such a big move in interest rates, many investors are naturally rethinking their financial affairs. For instance, they might become less willing to keep their funds in low-yielding deposit accounts and more interested in buying short-term bonds where yields are quite high. As this broad reassessment of risk and return unfolds, there may yet be more signs of stress in the financial system in the months ahead. In a sense, the speed of bank failures that we've seen recently was a manifestation of tighter monetary policy working its way through the financial system, and it's likely to lead to tighter financial conditions in the months ahead. Generally heightened nervousness among depositors and investors is likely to prompt greater cautiousness among banks in managing their assets and deploying their capital. As a result, debt could not only become more expensive, but also less available to some potential borrowers. Indeed, all the trouble at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and Credit Suisse is arguably part of the process of creating tighter financial market conditions that will slow economic growth and ultimately quell inflation. So will this bring the current monetary policy tightening cycle to an early end? And what does it all mean for investors? I'm going to talk about that next. A brand new monthly podcast inspired by the Business Times column, Off the Record joins the BT Podcasts lineup in April. Conversations in which editors from the newsrooms of SPH Media Trust discuss the modern news industry from their insider's perspective. Editors Talk will feature straight-talking editors addressing challenges, strategies and offer insights into how newsrooms have had to adapt in the face of digital transformation. Information that might just offer you answers in your business sector's digital transformation journey. First episode out in April. And now, back to Mark to Market from the Business Times. In a recent Mark to Market column, I mentioned that an old fund manager friend of mine advised me to load up on stocks back in October last year. The Fed was, at the time, hiking interest rates at a torrid pace of 75 basis points at each FOMC meeting. Yields on 10-year U.S. Treasury bonds had pushed above 4%, and the S&P 500 index had closed as low as 3,577 that month. But I had a different view. It seemed unlikely to me that inflation could be brought under control without a deep slump in economic activity and corporate profitability. And I feared that pockets of excesses built up during the long period of ultra-low interest rates might unwind in a disorderly manner amid the rapid tightening of monetary policy. So, naturally, I felt rather vindicated when the series of bank failures erupted last month. But looking back at the performance of the market since October last year, I have to admit that I might have been too bearish and that my fund manager friend might have had the right market instincts. From the end of October to the beginning of this month, the S&P 500 has delivered a total return of 6.9%. The Nasdaq 100 recorded an even more impressive return of 16.1%. And the prospect of higher interest rates did not seem to be a factor in the performance of many stocks that drove these US market indices higher. For instance, the best-performing component of both the S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100 during the period was Facebook, or Meta Platforms as it's now called. It returned 127.5% as its management refocused their attention on improving operational efficiency and profitability. Another strong performer in both the S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100 was chipmaker NVIDIA, 
which has returned 105.9% since the end of October amid optimism about artificial intelligence becoming a major driver of its growth. Wynn Resorts was the third best-performing component of the S&P 500. It delivered a total return of 75.1% as China eased its COVID-19 restrictions in Macau. It was a similar picture here in Singapore. The Straits Times Index delivered a total return of 6.5% between the end of October and the beginning of April. The top performers here were Semcorp Industries with a total return of 50.5%, Genting Singapore with a total return of 39.1%, and DFI Retail Group with a total return of 36.2%. Only two of the SDI's 30 component stocks were in negative territory during the period. City Developments with a total return of minus 3.4% and DBS with a total return of minus 2.5%. Yang Zichang Shipbuilding recorded a total return of zero during the five-month period. The point I'm making here is that the markets have actually taken all the bad news about bank failures in their stride. And some market watchers believe that the worst of the monetary policy tightening might already be behind us. And in any case... There are many other potential drivers of stock prices besides the possibility of higher interest rates and the risk of further financial market stress. Trends like the reopening of China and the emergence of AI and even micro factors at big companies like Apple, Amazon and Meta platforms can all have a positive impact on the market as a whole. I wanted to say that before expressing my own view, which is rather more bearish. The way I see it, the Fed has been playing catch-up over the past year with runaway inflation, and the cumulative impact of its fast-paced rate hikes on the market is only just becoming apparent. At this point, it seems unlikely to me that the Fed is close to any kind of monetary loosening. That was the sense I got in the wake of the latest FOMC meeting last month. In the first place, the Fed was not deterred by the turmoil in the banking sector from raising the target range for the federal funds rate by another 25 basis points. Now, it adopted a less certain posture on the likelihood of further tightening in the months ahead, saying it anticipates that some additional policy firming may be appropriate, whereas it was previously saying it anticipates that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate. But the median projections by participants of the latest Fed meeting still puts the midpoint of the US federal funds rate at 5.1% by the end of 2023 and 4.3% by the end of 2024. In December, Fed meeting participants were projecting a federal funds rate of 5.1% by end 2023 and 4.1% by end 2024. So at this point, the Fed does not see interest rates coming down any sooner or more significantly than it did back in December, before all the turmoil in the banking sector erupted. In fact, it's projecting slightly higher rates at the end of 2024 than it was in December. Now, the 5.1% projected midpoint for the federal funds rate by the end of 2023 does suggest that there is only one more rate hike of 25 basis points on the cards. While some market watchers see this prospect of rates peaking in 2023 as a reason to be optimistic about stocks, another way to interpret that projection is that the federal funds rate is going to end this year higher than where it is now. This likely additional tightening in the remaining months of this year, on top of the lagged effect of all the rate hikes that have already taken place, makes me worried that there are going to be further episodes of stress in financial markets and ultimately much weaker economic activity and corporate earnings in the months ahead. Where could this financial stress emerge in the local market? My own view is that Singapore's banks will be fine. DBS, OCBC and UOB are all very large and diversified players with big market shares and well-capitalized balance sheets. 
Singapore's REIT sector is a different matter. REITs are basically just levered real estate holding structures, and there's a very wide variety of them in the Singapore market. Looking again at the period from the end of October to the beginning of this month, the IH SREIT index recorded a total return of 9.1%, which is pretty robust. Leading the advance were REITs with well-positioned portfolios and strong sponsors, such as Fraser's Logistics and Commercial Trust, with a total return of 22%, and Capital DC REIT with a total return of 20%, and Capital Land China Trust with a total return of 18.8%. In fact, Maple Tree Logistics Trust, which returned 15.6% during the period, recently raised funds in the market to support an expansion of its portfolio. But at the other end of the spectrum, there are some weak REITs listed in the Singapore markets that have lost the confidence of investors and suffered big sell-offs. Notably, Manulife US REIT suffered a total return of minus 36.6% from the end of October to the beginning of April. What's the problem here? Well, it's hard not to see the analogy with the troubled US banks. Manulife US REIT suffered an unexpectedly large downward revaluation of its property portfolio at the end of 2022, which inflated its gearing significantly. The REIT's manager said in December that the reduced valuation of its properties was partly due to higher discount rates and capitalization rates. The upshot of all this is that I'm biding my time. While many investors have been trying to look past the current monetary policy tightening cycle and position themselves for an eventual loosening, it's absolutely crucial, in my view, that investors also preserve their capital as financial market conditions remain tough in the months ahead. Allocating a good portion of your portfolio to a combination of cash and short-term bonds could be one way of achieving this, in my view. Of course, with the strong performance that stocks have delivered in recent months, many investors will suffer from FOMO, or a fear of missing out. It's a natural human instinct to want to chase after rising stock prices. So if you really need to scratch that itch, do it with a small portion of your overall portfolio. But as far as possible, try to check your FOMO in the remaining months of 2023. That's it for this episode of Mark to Market. I'm Senior Correspondent Ben Paul. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.